Well, welcome to 2023, the year of the Lord, 2023. <laughs> it's an amazing thing. God has brought us through so much this past year, hasn't He? And He was faithful then, He is faithful now, He forever will be faithful. The Bible is very clear that the righteous, the godly, the God-fearing will fear no evil and will fear no bad news. There's nothing we have to fear because your accuser, he's there. But the list, the record of offenses that he had against you was taken out of his hands and was nailed to the cross. We have nothing to fear, not in this life and not in the life to come. So we can enter 2023 knowing that God is sovereign, God is supreme. He is in control, and we are His. Amen? Amen. This truth that we read this morning in verse 28, where Paul says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, not just those who love Him, but for those who are called according to His purpose. This very verse, is the foundation stone of the very workings of your destiny. Think about it. This truth right here, your destiny stands on it. The fact that everything, God works it out according to His purposes because you love Him and because you called according to that purpose. Because of this verse, we can enter 2023 filled with confidence, filled with peace. You know that, that verse right there? Uh, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good. And for those who are called according to His purpose, that verse right there is whenever things become hard, believers tend to cling to that verse like they would to a raft in a stormy sea. And that is true. You should. This is God's promise to you and me. But what I want to do today is I want to look at four great truths from that very portion. And the first is that this is a definite promise. This is a definite promise. It starts off with, and we know. It's definite. You see, in an age where parents pay, what, 60000 plus to send their kids off to a college where they go and they get taught that there's nothing can be known for sure. We send them off, we pay a top dollar to have them be educated that all things, including truth, is relevant. We send them off, we go into deep debt so that they can come back learning. That there's no such thing as an absolute. All you need to do is ask your student, are you absolutely sure about what you're saying right there? The Apostle Paul says, and we know, and we know. In an age where truth and knowledge has taken a backseat to opinion, to hypothesis, to opining, to people's personal truths, I'm here to tell you that what you know is important.
What you do know and what you don't know impacts your life. It impacts your year. That's why this year, as a pastor, I'm unapologetically here in your life to drive you away from all the wrong priorities in life towards all of the correct priorities in life. This is the time everybody signs up for gym. This is the time everybody makes decisions as to what they're going to do for 2023. All the boxes they're going to check. And this is the time where people set their priorities. They set their sales for this year. And I am unapologetically telling you that the only possible way for you to escape uh, regret from 2023 is to make sure you have the right priorities. What am I really saying? In theological terms, I'm attempting to get you to decapitate all your idols and make sure that you don't have idols at the top of your priority list. Money is good, but it ought not to be at the top, right? We serve God. You see, you cannot serve God and mammon. You can serve God with it, but you cannot serve God and it. And so what does it mean to put God first? It means to put Him at the top of your priority list for 2023. That's why what you do know and what you don't know impacts your life. It impacts everything you do, your family, your parenting, your marriage, everything is guided by what you do know and what you don't know. That's why we started what uh, we're going to call our Bible reading challenge, which starts today. If you haven't yet joined, I really want to encourage you to join it because there's nothing to fear regarding this Bible reading challenge. Today we're reading Genesis 1 through 3, right? Who's on board with me on that? Yep, just about everybody's doing the Bible reading challenge this year. That's wonderful. We're going to read through the whole entire Bible. And here's why there's no fear in it. Because if you skip a day, if you skip two days, all you do is you jump back on track on day three. And so we're gonna, um, we have sent this out to everybody, and this is the Bible reading challenge. And what's so exciting about this Bible reading challenge is that it, that it goes through the Bible on a timeline. In other words, you're going to find that it jumps around a little bit. We start with Genesis 1 through 3. Then we're going to go through... Uh, Tomorrow is 4 through 7, then uh, we're going to go through 8 through 11, and then it goes to Job 1 through 5. Why? Because this Bible reading challenge goes according to the chronological timeline of Scripture. And you will see how Job actually took place during the time of where Job fits in with Genesis. Does this make sense to you? All right, so you'll be able to read the Bible on a timeline. And uh, as we do so, we are learning what you do know and what you don't know impacts your life. And as a pastor, I'm encouraging you, put the word at the top of your priority list. This is how you put God at the top of your life. Put the word at the top of your priority list. I unapologetically encourage you towards this Bible, Bible reading challenge. I unapologetically, unapologetically encourage you towards Bible school starting in March. I unapologetically encourage you towards our parenting webinar starting this Wednesday. Our, we're going to have a marriage uh, webinar starting in February. The Wednesdays in February. I think there are four. I'm not sure. It's so important for us to make, to put our stake in the ground and say, this year, this year, I am 
realizing that what I do know impacts my life. My ignorance leaves me in darkness, but it's the word that brings life. It's the word that brings light. So I'm here to tell you that uh, the intellectuals of the day that says all things are, are, are relative, it's not true. There's no such thing as an absolute, absolute. Yes, there is. The reason they want to tell you that there isn't is because they want to deny God, who is absolutely king, God, sovereign, and supreme. Paul is saying here that we can know beyond a shadow of doubt <clears throat> that every aspect of our lives will be used by God to accomplish His plans for us. You might say, well, there's a lot of not-so-good stuff happening in my life. Mm-hmm. Did God do it? No, I did it. Who's guilty? Me. But guess who's able to use what you broke and make it work towards God's purposes in your life? God is able to do that. It'll be used by God to accomplish His plan for us, which includes His ultimate glory and our eternal blessing. He will find glory in everything, and you will be blessed by it at the end of the day. In verse 26, however, Paul says that there is something that we cannot know. Let me quote it for you. He says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. So in the fact, uh, th these two verses, we do not know and this we know, wasn't accidentally put together into the same portion of Scriptures. No, it was meant. You see, Paul is reconciling two opposites, which we find very often in Scriptures. You see, while we can know that God is ultimately in control of every detail of our lives, the details of the plan cannot always be known. This is important to understand because this is going to clarify to you and to me why oftentimes we as Christians are so confused about, hey, what's going on? The, the world is burning. God, where are you? You're like all the confusing things that happen in our lives, the loss we experience, the pain we have to endure. We wonder, why is that there? Well, Paul is telling us here that we do not know how to even pray for these things. Yet, we do know this, that He works all things together for good. So while we know that God is ultimately in control of everything, the details of His plan cannot always be known. This paradoxical nature of the Christian life is evident everywhere in Scripture, actually. Uh, we talked about this before, and we cover this in detail in the Bible school, but just to bring it up here is that we believe that Jesus is what? Both fully God and fully man at the same time. It's a paradox. We believe God is both mercy and just, merciful and just, both at the same time. As believers, we are most satisfied only. We are most satisfied only when we hunger and thirst. It is you hungering 
and your continual hunger that leaves you satisfied. You cannot be satisfied unless you're hungry and thirsty for God's righteousness. We believe that the least in God's kingdom is in fact the greatest in God's kingdom, both at the same time. We believe God is sovereign. We believe man is responsible, both at the same time. We actually have to give in order to receive. We have to die in order to live. Scripture is filled with paradox. Where are you right now? I am here with my feet on the earth, but I am in Christ who is in heavenly places right now. I am actually there and here. <laughs> and then here in the same way, in our text that we looked at today, even though we do not know what to pray for, we know for certain that God is all the while working everything according to His plans. You see, we, in other words, let me say it this way. We are most certain about the ultimate while we are most uncertain about the immediate. What's going to happen next? Nope. No idea. What's going to happen in 2023? <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, by the looks of it, just about anything can happen. <laughs> I would not be surprised. <laughs> well, this leaves me having to believe that even though I'm at times so confused about what I see going on around me, I don't even have to know. I don't have to know what to pray for, but I do know that God is in control. He doesn't fumble. He doesn't stumble. He is in control. He is God. He always has been everywhere at all times. From the top of heaven to the bottom of hell, He is God there isn't one, like R.C. Sproul says, there isn't one maverick molecule in all of the universe. Did you realize that? There couldn't be a maverick molecule. If there could be one, there could be two. If there could be two, there could be three. And if there could be three maverick molecules, there could be four. And if it continues that way, guess what? God has lost control. If every molecule doesn't submit to God, He is no longer God. Everything. He upholds the whole universe by His Word. Everything obeys Him. That's why it's very clear to me as to why does evil do what evil does? God didn't create it, but why does it do what it does in a world where God is God. I, for the life of me, cannot find anywhere in Scripture where He is not God. Can you? And this is something we have to, we have to place our, we have to rest our hearts in this truth. He is God. He is God of the past. He's God of history. But He's also God of our present and our future. That's why we can enter 2023. And it doesn't matter if the world's burning. We enter 2023 with the greatest amount of hope, expectation, excitement. Because I'm looking forward to seeing what God's going to do in 2023. Who would have thought at this time, even during this administration, 
that Roe v. Wade would go the way it did. I'm telling you, God is God. I don't care who's who, but God is God of all. Satan is God's devil. He's, he's not, God is not wringing his hands going like, what am I going to do with Satan? Man, he's really, he's really gaining a lot of control. No. God is in control. So our conclusion here is that this passage of Scripture promises that we know that God's promise is definite. God's promise is definite. Number two, we also see that this is a divine promise. A definite promise, but it's also a divine promise. Romans 8, 28 says, in the New, in New International Version, it reads this way, and we know that in all things, God works. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. So we know this for sure, that it is God who is involved in the outcome of all things. If God did not have the power over evil, Watch this. If God did not have the power over all wickedness, if He did not have the power over Satan, then He could never have made this promise. Look at that promise again. And we know, in the NIV, that in all things, which, th how many things? All of them. God works for the good of those who love Him. Now, that's a promise made right there. He actually uses all things called synergism, not monergism. Monergism is when He works, when something works all by itself. Synergism is when two things work together. More than one thing. In other words, all things. God uses that. And causes it to work for the good for those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. Here God is making a promise He could not fulfill if, in fact, He wasn't God over all things. Can you see that? If there was a maverick, mo maverick molecule in all of the universe, He couldn't make this promise. If there was a sinner out of control and God simply could not deal with a sinner, He couldn't make this promise. If there was a Hitler rising up in the earth, and he's about, to, he's about to do a lot of damage in the earth. And God simply couldn't rein this guy in. Then God couldn't make this promise to you. Because God is saying, no matter if there is a Hitler, no matter if there is a molecule trying to do its own thing, no matter if one third of the angels decided to do their own, all things together, God says, all right, well, I'll just make you do this then to accomplish my ultimate purpose for His ultimate glory and your eternal benefit. I'm trying to get you to prepare your hearts that whatever you go through in 2023, you can rejoice in all things because you know He's made this promise. Man, that's a really hard thing we're going through, but praise God. For His ultimate purpose, and my eternal benefit. But I don't understand it. I know. But what I do know is that that is true. No, you don't understand all things. 
But you do know this. Now, if God was going to say, Alex, um, you know, I'm going to do my best to try and help you this year. Um, <laughs> I'll do what I can to make this mess work out for good, but, you know, we'll see what happens. If God had to promise you that, it's very different from what He promised you here, right? If He had to promise you that, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be all that comforting. How about if God said this to you? Now, uh, Steve, remember, I only help those who help themselves. <laughs> I don't know how many times in my life people have come to me and say, yeah, you know that verse, that verse in the Bible that says God helps those who help themselves? <laughs> God only gives you as much as what you can handle. He only tells you that which you can obey. Really? Everything He tells you, you can't do. Be perfect, for I am perfect. Be holy, for I am holy. Here are, here are hundreds of commands. Go ahead, have a field day. He that endures to the end. If it was up to me, I'd fail. I don't know about you, I'm sure you'll do better than me, but you'll eventually fail too. There's nothing God tells you to do that you can't actually do outside of Him gracing you to do it. You couldn't be righteous as God is righteous unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees. You, there's nothing you can do unless He actually does it for you. Why did Jesus not just come on Thursday, died on Friday, raise, rise from the dead on Sunday, and then was, you know, ascended on Monday? Why didn't He just do it all in like one week? Why did He come and was born as a baby, and then He lived the whole life of 30 years before He actually did what He came to do? Why did it take Him so long? Have you wondered? Here's why. Because not only was His righteousness imputed unto you and your sin unto Him. This is the heart of the gospel. The penal substitutionary atonement of Christ. His righteousness was placed on you while your sin was placed on Him. But not only was that imputed to you. You know what else was imputed to you? His perfect life. He came to live 30 years perfectly and then died so that not only was His righteousness imputed to you, but His obedience was imputed to you also. God looks at you as He sees Christ, a perfect life. Somebody who ends up being completely righteous. The good news. So we see that this is a divine promise. We see that this is a definite promise. All things are included in it. He doesn't create evil. He doesn't form evil. But He does cause both good and evil to work together synergistically for the realization of His ultimate glory and your eternal good. Number three. But then number four, we realize in this verse, we see that this is a defined promise. It is a divine promise. 
It's a definite promise, a divine promise, a definitive promise. All things are included in here. And then fourthly, this is a defined promise. Without having to state it, Romans 8.28 is filled with absolutes. It's defined. I hope I didn't confuse the issue here. I think I skipped a point, did I? So number one, <laughs> number one, we saw that it was a definite promise. It wasn't a possibility. It was definite. Number two, we see that it is a divine promise. And we know that in all things, God works. Number three, we see that this is a definitive promise. Definitive in what way? That it, it's definitive in the fact that He includes all things, both good and evil. And then number four, we see that this is a defined promise. Without having to state it, as I mentioned, Romans 8.28 is filled with absolutes. You can read it this way. We absolutely know that absolutely all things work absolutely together for absolute good. God's definition of good. But then follows that part that is not absolute, which is this promise is not for absolutely everybody. Notice the precondition in Romans 8.28. It says, for those who love God and for those who are called according to His purpose. You see, throughout Scriptures, uh, we are referred to as those who love God. You're referred to as many things, soldiers of Christ, the bride of Christ. You're referred to the children of God. You're referred to as the called. You are referred to as a holy priesthood. You are referred to as many things. Yes, here we see that we are referred to as those who love God. That's who you are. In Deuteronomy 7 and verse 9, Deuteronomy 7 verse 9, it says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments to a thousand generations. In Psalm 145 verse 20, it says, The Lord preserves all who love Him but all the wicked He will destroy. In 1 Corinthians 2.9 it says, But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, We at Christ Nation hope you found this message meaningful. Love him. Please feel free to share it with anyone that you think says, but if anyone loves God, We hope you can join us soon for a God. Sunday experience. James for 1 verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, Thank you, which God, God has promised you. to who? Those who love him. This wonderful promise that all things will work out for the good is exclusively promised to those who love him. Lovers of God. Lovers of God. The question I have for you today is not, do you believe in God? The question I have for you today is, do you love God? Now, there are many ways we can determine whether we love God. Sanctification being one of them. Enduring to the end being another. My commitment and my affection towards Scripture. 
the value, the worth that I put upon Scripture. But many people get stumped by this question because they're not sure that they love God since sometimes they don't quite feel any love. You know that time somebody backed up into your car in the parking lot? At that moment, I had many emotions. Loving God wasn't one of them, was it? That I can remember. <laughs> I'm like, hmm, did I love God at that moment? My love is broken. Interrupted love. Because we tend to measure our love by our emotions. But I want to ask you a couple of questions that I heard R.C. Sproul ask, and I thought that this was so genius. Because many people question their love for God. They question their love for God. But let me ask you, do you love Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, all right? Many people love Jesus that they kind of like imagined Jesus to be. Beautiful long hair flowing in the wind with a little, with a little sheep in his arms. Now, I'm not talking about that Jesus. I'm not talking about the Jesus of the chosen. All the ladies are like, oh, I love Jesus. <laughs> No, you love Jesus. <laughs> no, no. Do you love Jesus of the Bible? Not the Jesus of your imagination. Now, my question is, do you love the Jesus of the Bible perfectly? Alex, do you love Jesus of the Bible perfectly? Do you? Well, really, come on now. The answer is no. You do not love Jesus perfectly. As a matter of fact, there isn't one thing you do perfectly. And loving Him is included in that. Like I mentioned, especially when you couldn't find that parking spot at the mall and you were late. Loving Jesus wasn't the thing that flooded your mind. So no, we do not love Jesus perfectly. Well, if that's you, let me ask you this question. Ought you to love Him more than you currently do? How many of you want to love Jesus more than you currently do? All right. Every regenerate hand, heart, needs to raise its hand. <laughs> Only to the true Christian, when you ask him, do you pray enough, does he say, no, I don't. Only to the true Christian, when you ask him, do you do enough for the Lord? They go, no, I don't. I need to do more. Only the true Christian, when you ask him, do you spend enough time in the presence of God? Do they go, no, I need to spend more time in the presence of God. Remember I mentioned to you the paradox of Christianity, one of them being the fact that unless you hunger and thirst, you'll never be satisfied. You are satisfied because you're hungry. And to the Christian, the unregenerate heart, it's one of the signs that you're regenerate is that you really need to spend more time. You're already spending five hours a day. I know, but I need to spend more time with God. Yeah, but you're already reading through the Bible in one year. Yeah, but I need to, I need to get more into the Word of God. Only the true Christian is that one that, that will immediately raise their hand and say, yeah, I ought to love Jesus more than I currently do. Well, then let me ask you this question. Since you said yes, um, I don't love... I do not love Christ perfectly. And yes, I do need to love Him even more than I currently do. My question is to you then, well, do you love Him at all? 
Do you? Do you love him at all, even if it's in small degrees? Well, yeah, I do love him. But I don't love him enough. And I don't love him perfectly. But I do love him. Yeah, there, there, there is love for Christ. There's love for the Word. I'm looking forward to the Word. I value the Word. There is a value there. Well, let me ask you this question then. If that's you, how can that possibly be true for you? Unless you have a regenerate heart. Let me ask you, can the heart of stone love the Jesus of Scripture? No, it says that his mind cannot even submit. He will go his own way. He will turn away. He cannot follow Christ, cannot come to Christ. Jesus said, John 6, 44, No man can come to me unless the Father performs a miracle in that person, unless the Father draws that person. A better word for the word draw there is the word drag. So the question is, if you do love him, at all, well, yes, how can a stony heart love him? You have a heart of flesh. And the verse identifies those who love as being the very same ones as those that are called according to his purpose. He will work all things together for the good for those who love him and are called according to the, his purpose. They're the same group. Now let's see in Scripture how this has played out. We see Job. He feared God and he shunned evil. He was a righteous man. And one day, his 500 donkeys and his 500 oxen were stolen. That's a bad day. But then he heard more news. The Chaldeans bandits, or the Chaldean bandits, stole his 300 camels. Then he heard more bad news. Lightning killed his 7,000 sheep. Wow. And then he heard that these Chaldeans killed all of his servants. And then finally, to top it all off, a building collapses on his seven sons and his three daughters leaving Job with absolutely nothing and no one but his friends and his wife. But yet, here is Job's response. Job 1.21, and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That is Job's response to all that just happened to him. And as if that was not bad enough, Job, Job became sick with boils all over his entire body. His friends came to him and accused him of wrongdoing. said, these things have happened to you because you left a door open somewhere. You allowed Satan a foothold. You, Job, what you did is, is something in your closet. You, Job, you don't love God perfectly. Assuming like we do, 
and you don't because it didn't happen to us. It happened to you, you see. God only protects those. Who love him perfectly. <laughs> you know, this just added more misery to him. Finally, Job's wife ended up encouraging him to curse God and die. And then Job responds in Job 23, verse 10. He says, but he knows the way that I take. God knows the way I take, says Job. When he, God, has tried me, I shall come out as gold. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. But why like that? And at what point do things turn around? <laughs> I mean, a lot of questions can come to a person's mind if they were Job at that time. But Job stood firm in his faith. And even Job had no idea what God was doing in his immediate he continued to express his faith in God for the ultimate. In the end, God caused all Job went through to work together for good. The evil that fell on him, his righteous responses, all of it worked for good. For God's glory and for Job's eternal blessing. I mean, think about it. How could God be God? If the tornado, if the lightning, if the sickness and the disease, if the Chaldeans, all of those acted outside of God's control, how could God have caused all of those things to work together for Job's ultimate good and God's eternal glory? How could that have happened unless God was God all the while? Think of Joseph. He had Joseph's brothers hate on him. They sell him into slavery, off to the pit. He's lied about. Potiphar's wife lies. He's thrown into prison. I mean, there wasn't one good thing that happened to this man. He's a man we don't know that he ever sinned one time. Now, of course he did because Jesus is the only sinless one. If Joseph never had any sin, he would qualify to be a savior for us, but he didn't. He wasn't the perfect Lamb of God, the sinless Lamb of God. Jesus was. But here's Joseph, a very holy person, and nothing works out for him <laughs> until the end. Until the end, where he meets with his brothers, and he actually saves them from dying because of the drought. He provides for them. He intercedes for them. And he says these words in Genesis 20, verse 50. He says, as for you... You meant evil against me, he says to his brothers, when you sold me into slavery. You meant evil, but God meant it for good. God actually meant it for good. Why? To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So we see how God worked all the while in Job's life, causing all things, good and bad, to work together for the good, which is God's ultimate glory and, and Job's eternal blessing. But we also see in Joseph's life how God was able to take all things, good and bad, righteous and evil, and caused it to work together for the good, for God's ultimate glory 
and Joseph's eternal blessing. We see in Jesus, now I want you to just think about what we're talking about here and find in these verses the same truth, how God uses the most wicked, the most evil things that could ever possibly take place on earth and He will use it for His eternal purposes. I'm trying to get you to understand, folks. Contrary to what many, many, relig- many denominations may teach, when it says that God is good, it doesn't mean you ain't going to have hard times. Whenever you face a hard time in 2023, remember that He promised that He will work it for ultimate benefit in your, in, for you and for Him. But it doesn't mean it's not going to be there. Now think about the same thing as I read Acts 2 verse 23. It says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and definite foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. What a paradox. Two truths living very happily as one. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan of God. You crucified Him. You planned to kill Him and you did. But guess what? That was God's plan. Acts 4 verse 27 and 28. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do, God, whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. (coughs) All these people are gathering together, conspiring against the Christ to kill Him in order to fulfill God's ultimate plan. They had plans, but it fit within God's plans. This is what's so shocking about this. Yes, God allowed things to happen. But we cannot deny that the Scripture says that He determined these things to happen. God took Satan's most wicked strategy He could come up with and used it as as a tool in His own hand and ultimately turned the cross into the greatest blessing to come upon fallen humanity. So here are the takeaways. Here's the takeaway for today. This is what I want to encourage you towards as we enter 2023 and that is that become determined to trust God in 2023. Don't be shaken. Don't be moved. Don't second guess. Don't wonder. You're not supposed to know all the immediate details, but you know the conclusive end for sure. Isaiah 46 verse 9 through 11 says, Remember the former things of old, For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Look at that. That's an amazing thing. How could he say this if he wasn't completely in control of all things taking place? I don't care how an election turns out. I see a war happening somewhere, I'm full apart. None of us ought to. 
We are free from all these things that happen in the world. I'm not saying you ought not to know what's going on. And you ought not to speak what is true about things. But are you, are you supposed to have the rug pulled from under you? No. No, no, no. Never. You never have the rug pulled from under you. Because your God is on the throne. Verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken. I will bring it to pass. I have purposed. I will do it. Father, today, we thank you so much for your word that gives us comfort. We are able to put our stakes in the ground. We're dying on this hill that you are God, you are able, you are good, and you work all things together for good. Your definition of good, which is something that ultimately glorifies you and eternally blesses us. Thank you, Father God, for your word doing a work within our hearts changing the way we view things, causing us, Father God, to walk through this world, no matter how many fires burn. Oh, we see God in everything. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. No matter how dark the day, they will see God. No matter how negative the news, they will see God. No matter how concerning the economy, they will see God. They see God in all things because they know their God is sovereign. I thank you, Father God, that you bless us with a greater understanding on a daily basis as to who you are because when we see you for who you are, we change. And I thank you, Lord, when we see just how sovereign you are over all things, that you are able to work all things for the good, we relax and we rest in you, knowing that your promises are forever and they are ours in Jesus' mighty name. And all those who love the Lord said, Amen.